welcome to Paul and Moses Play, a celebration of games and play, and a deep dive into video games and what make them so special to us. I'm your host, Paul Burbridge, and with me as always is Dr. Moses Wolfenstein. Hello, Moses. Hello, Paul. We are back. We certainly are. How's your Friday? It is Friday. I'm uh, taking a step aside from work to podcast with you, and that makes it great. Nice. But uh, apart from that, it's going well anyway. All right. I wonder, I suppose I'll maybe get back there eventually with the conventional weekends. It's just, it's been years since like a Friday has meant. Has meant weekend Friday. Know, yeah. 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 For sure. For sure. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, I think uh, we'll probably just jump right into it here. Lots, lots of good stuff for sale, oh, stranger, as they say. So much stuff. So yeah. much stuff. I mean, not just the stuff that uh, of the last, well, two weeks, you know, I was uh, away in Santa Fe last you were, week. So. You were out of pocket, as they say. As, I, as I'm as i prone to saying, I was out of pocket for Angelica's MFA graduation. That was fantastic. Uh, but man, there's a lot of game stuff going on and a ton of game stuff on the horizon for sure. So yeah. um, I don't even know where to start. Well, I certainly know where I where I could start, but I feel like that will be a a, a, a big old convo. So... I'm sure I am sure it will. And uh, yeah, uh, you know, crying is a thing that happens and results in a certain certain liquid. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and we'll we'll undoubtedly get back to that. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, I don't know. Are you folding any of that into features today, or is this just going to be right up here up front? Well, let me then just uh, touch on a couple of. Um, uh, kind of remarkable, unremarkable uh, things. So um, Dark Souls freezing. I did, in fact, ring that bell. And then I uh, oh, right. I asked for your assistance out at, uh, what's it called? The Dragon Peak? Arch Dragon Peak. Arch Dragon Peak. Yeah. Manor? No, there's no manor. More's <laughs> a pity. Um, and uh, it was funny because I thought that I had to open a second portcullis and suddenly everything is shrouded in clouds, which is an incredibly cool effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, there was just some weird little glitch that I had hit. When you ring yeah. the bell, the second portcullis opens. You have access then to the boss uh, who is the king of Storm, king of the storm slash nameless king fight. Yes. You you hopped in with me on it for a second, uh, but it became immediately evident that, A, I did not need your help to potentially beat it, which I have not yet. Um, and it'd be that you were about to completely burn him down to the ground. Um, I don't know about that, man. I mean, I got, I did get killed. Uh, yeah, you, you did, but I, but the truth is that's cause you were just being like overly aggro. Uh, you know, I've phased to him a couple of times now and, yeah. and haven't even taken that many swipes at him. And I just want to say, and I mean, this is really all that I've got to say on dark souls three today. What a cool fight. Yeah. What a great, like intro animation. He's riding around on this wyvern wyvern, however you prefer to pronounce it. Um, who is ostensibly the king of the storm is the, the mount, the, giant yeah, chicken either dragon that or yeah either that or when they are a pair they're the that king. he is the yeah he, they become the yeah i don't know uh they're i'm sure we could search around and find a, a quasi definitive answer and then he gets off of the mount and it's just it's dope it's a cool fight i love it when he takes off and like sears you with lightning <laughs> um i mean obviously i don't like it when it happens and takes me down but like it's it's really cool it's like oh yeah no fuck you you're on the ground and i'm just gonna swoop around and like scorch you yeah um so you know i expect i'm gonna when i 
devote the time to it, I, I think that's a pretty attainable fight. Like getting yeah. phase two isn't that bad. The problem is just that like you can really chew up some Estes flasks on phase one because being a glass cannon, when you when you take the hit, it's it's a tough hit. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. HP does go fast. But um, but yeah, having fun with that one. So I'm I'm glad that um you kind of pointed me in that direction. Like maybe go back out to Arch Dragon Peak. Yeah. And I uh, cruised around, did a little leveling up there. I think maybe even before the last episode. I can't remember. Um, and then uh have opened up that fight, so it'll be a good one. Nice. Yeah, that was one of the two or three bosses from Dark Souls three that I didn't beat on like my first couple of playthroughs. Oh, really? And only in my most recent full completion. Did I beat him and uh, a couple other stragglers? Well, now I'm slightly uh, worried whether his phase two has its own phase two. I don't know. Uh, I haven't gotten him that far into phase two. Yeah. Um, and he's a bit of a bastard in phase two. But if your rolling game is on point, it doesn't seem to be that bad. Just being it's able not, to... but man, he's so quick. Like, he's quick. really got to be on your game. Just again, as, as a sorcerer, he just does a punishing amount of damage. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, but it no, does not seem anywhere near as bad as Lothric and Lorien. So I think that, you know, attainable. So I'm looking forward to it. Having it in the mix has been good. Yeah. Nice. Um, my one other real quick update is an Apex update. I had my best game to date the other night. It was freaking bonkers. I was playing Bangalore. Uh, I had eight kills. Nice, man. And eight knockdowns. Wow. And over like 1,200 damage, so averaging like 150 damage per kill. And I got four revives off in this victory. And by the end, I was the kill leader and got the final kill, which gave me the Apex Predator badge. Nice, man. Like, I was just in the fucking zone. It was such a good feeling. Be like, yeah, tonight this particular game is mine. And I finished that. I was like, I'm done. Yeah. Now it's time to boot up humanity and give that a try. Yeah. Which uh, actually, I think I took another shot at the nameless King first, and then I booted up in humanity and gave that a try. And so that's when we both dipped into a little bit. And uh, I'm not planning on talking about it at depth this week, but what was your take on a uh, first touch with humanity? Oh, it seems great. I love how high the dog jumps. Yeah. Like, I'm, I know. I'm sure they build stuff around him jumping that high but it's like higher than you expect and it just feels kind of free and a little like if you hold it down longer you get a slightly taller jump yeah and off of some of the puzzles some of the levels that i've encountered yeah you definitely need it yeah um initially i was super cautious to not fall off the edge but then somewhere around like the sixth level and i accidentally did it once and was like oh this is obviously designed for you to do that it's okay yeah it reminds me of like sort of a golden age of like playstation style indies like intelligent cube yeah is a big one that comes to mind for this or there was like a domino mr mr no one can stop mr domino just the weird kind of like sort of abstract taking a concept and and making it all pretty and shiny yeah but still it being like low fidelity enough so that you can have like a thousand people all streaming through this level. It's kind of like Lemmings for those who who don't know. Um, yeah, except that you are not punished for the regular mob of people dying, right, which right. is crucial, or at least not on any of the levels that I've played so far. Yeah. Um, and like the narrator actually specifically lets you know on maybe the second or third level, like, oh, don't worry about them plummeting to their doom. You right. know, they'll just come right back through the door. Yep. Yep. Uh, I mean, you know, you could make an argument. It's still horrifying to fall and die, especially there are children uh, in the mix yeah. as well. But uh, oh, yeah, uh, but all hey, these they, faceless they don't seem people, too distressed, but... I guess. No, they don't. Um, 
it's weird. Yeah. It's really weird. It's got a strange narrative that it's building. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just immediately, obviously, given um, that this is coming from the maker of Tetris Effect, Res, and, and Child yeah. of Eden. I'm blanking on his name at the moment, which is really... Uh, Tetsuya Mizuguchi. Tetsuya Mizuguchi. Thank you. Um, and I maybe, you know, when you asked me a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, a few episodes ago about uh, a game dev to, to sit down and chat with, mm, mm-hmm. uh, he would be another really strong contender because like his devotion to making music just a deep part of the games yeah. is really something that resonates for me. And it's present in this game too. The music is environmental and builds and is clearly selected with like the utmost uh, care. Mm-hmm. yeah so you know we'll see as i uh i intend to spend a lot of time with humanity uh my first touch with it is like i don't know this could could well make my game of the year you never know yeah you know, it'll take a lot more playing to figure that out but it is absolutely a, a really wild entrant in a busy year of games nice so yeah i guess uh with all of that said let's get back to that crying tell me about tears of the kingdom I certainly will. I did want to quickly ask if there was any Outer Wilds uh, updates recently. No, I mean not really. You and I, you you uh, screen watched me, but yeah. I mean, I, I I made no substantive progress. Okay, I just you know wanted to check. Yeah, I you know I meant to the other night too, but then I got so sucked into humanity, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna play a little Apex. I'm gonna play a little Dark Souls three. I'm gonna try humanity, and then I'll jump into Outer Wilds. And I was like. And I'm going to try humanity and I'm going to try humanity. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I used to have, oh my God, I'm really worried. Uh, I know that, um, you know, we've got Diablo four dropping soon. Yeah. And that's going to be consuming some time too. It's just like, it is a very good problem to have, but it is a problem. Yeah. I was like, I want to get back to outer wilds and I fully intended to get some Disco Elysium in, and that never happened because there were these other games consuming my my attention. Yeah, I'm almost, I'm actually glad, more than almost glad that 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 one was maybe tabled for now. Yeah, it is. Uh, now. It has to be at the risk of diluting your your gaming time, and because Outer yeah. Wilds requires a degree of concentration and sure. recall, yeah. uh, uh, and patience, and uh, you know those things are not always uh, in unlimited supply. No, no. And I think that um, certainly Disco Elysium is going to require a certain degree of focus. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's that's all good. But yeah, no, I'm uh, going to have to figure out a way to balance in some Outer Wilds progress because I want to keep pushing forward on that one, too. Yeah. But uh, we'll see how, how it plays. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Well, for me, um, yeah, Tears of the Kingdom has been has been it. I, I dipped into humanity a little bit and I'm, you know, that'll be a nice companion piece to the behemoth of Tears of the Kingdom. Um, but it's been a while since there's been a game that I've been able just to sit down and play for four or five hours at a time. You know, normally I start getting a little antsy of maybe a half hour in and maybe get a little bored or something. But not not with this one uh four or five hours man yeah yeah in a word it is good uh i'm really enjoying it um it took a little bit to kind of get into the the flow of it there's definitely some early frustrations and still some game design weirdness that i don't know seems like kind of a misstep um you know i uh 
made it through the the tutorial, which wasn't quite as good as the tutorial of Breath of the Wild. It was a little more linear, and it was like I feel like four hours spent up on this sky island where you start before you even get down to the surface. That's a um, lot of tutorial time. If yeah, that's all basically the tutorial. Yeah, um, but sort of necessary because like this is one of the most complex games I've I've ever played, uh, which is sort of surprising because it is a game presumably for all ages, but the amount of systems and interacting systems and options at your disposal is like staggering. And I, to this day, uh, and not that it's been that long, but like I am constantly pressing the wrong button and there are these contextual buttons. Okay, you're holding this weapon and you hold this button, brings up this menu, you hold this and then you can do this and like, nested options and like it is insanely complicated uh as far as the control scheme uh as far as the full breadth of of the options available to you so but you know that that just takes time um but uh i had sort of missed a key uh stable which are these hubs in the game where you can get your horse and quests and stuff um uh -huh. and i was yeah so this is part of, yeah, I, I think I know where you're going with this. So yeah, do go on. However, to that point, uh, so I was getting one shot a lot and I was getting really yeah. frustrated. And I'm like, you know, I'm not the best of the combat in this game, but like, it's just feels bad. I've got five hearts and this medium sized enemy with like a good weapon is like one shotting me. Um, so it's like, okay, I, I need to upgrade my armor. Um, but I didn't know how to do that. And, but I knew that like the, the game was pushing you out into this snowy area where the first dungeon was and stuff. So I'm like, okay, I'll just head out there. Um, and eventually got, got the quests, but basically the quest requires you to go all the way out to this snowy area before you can even begin upgrading your, your armor and stuff. And there was this one encounter where enemies were throwing these little chew jelly remnants at me. And it creates this big, ice explosion that would just freeze me solid and instantly kill me and like no matter how careful i was being if i wasn't paying attention to like all six enemies one of them would just huck this thing from like far away and it would just insta kill me and you know the game is pointing you in this direction you really can't do much to upgrade your situation before you're going through there so like maybe you're supposed to kind of avoid encounters at that point but like, I don't want to, like, I want right. to fight these enemies. They're all set up. They've got their treasure chests. They've got their stuff. And like, okay, a big old dragon floating around. I know to stay away from him, but like your normal bands of enemies. In um, the place that you're theoretically supposed to be. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in my mind, certainly uh, to like accidentally getting yourself in the wrong zone early in WoW. Right. And being like, it, okay, I've figured out in pretty short order, this is not the place I'm supposed to be. These are like level eight enemies and I'm level two, right? Exactly. Like that kind of yeah. thing. But that's not what it seems like, at least by how the game yeah, is guiding it. Just kind of punishing and, um, you know, maybe I could have, because every four shrines, and shrines are like mini dungeons, every four shrines you beat, you get to choose either a new heart container or more for your stamina bar. Okay. I've been going mostly stamina bar because you can run more, you can climb more, etc. Uh, so I could have put it into hearts, and that would have helped a little. A little, uh, but it sounds like just you're you don't have any damage soak going on. If right. like 
four hearts are taken out by a single shot. That just, yeah, that's inconsistent with Zelda. It it is. Um, and I guess also I could be more skilled. Also, I could have spent two hours cooking and given myself like temporary hearts to to help mitigate that. But just being so early in the game, I didn't feel like I would really need to. None of that do seems that. like it's what you should have to do. So. Yeah. Um, all that being said, I'm I'm past that hump now. I've upgraded my armor twice, and there was a really neat quest with that. Uh, these fairies, because uh, you're in you're in the same world as as Breath of the Wild, but uh, fairies have now retreated into their giant flowers and won't come out unless they hear music from this uh, troop of musicians. Okay, but they're all scattered, of course, and their carts broken. So you end up like tracking them down one by one. You then like fix up their cart with your uh, grabby powers, you know, and then hitch their wagon to your horse and like drive them on up the hill to where the fairy is. They play this beautiful song. She comes out and then upgrades your armor. And that was like really satisfying quest. Yeah, and when it really started good. to to get its hooks into me in a, where I have my own motivation instead of just, well, let's just explore. It's like, no, now it's something I want, you know? Uh, and then to upgrade your armor to level two required like 15 of these blue bokoblin horns. And I didn't, I had like two. So I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So I'm just going to go on a hunting mission and kill a bunch of enemies. And it took like two hours, uh, but it was all like very satisfying, very like forward progress feeling like I'm working towards getting my armor. So now I've got that to level two and that's gotten me, you know, some, some damage soak. So I can yeah. kind of progress more, more confidently now. Right um, on. And the these combat encounters are are great. Like you'll find this giant goblin guy with his little horde of like four minions, and they kind of scatter shot, like run at you and stuff. And then he'll blow his horn, and they'll all like form up on him. Ooh. And there's this great like bongo music going, da, 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 and it's like shit. Like this is, you know, this is the real deal. Uh, and just watching watching the enemies like cooperate and like fall in line, you know, with their with their boss. Yeah, uh, it was cool. Um, uh, recurring side quests I also like there's this guy who has a sign but it tips over and he's too dumb to make it not tip over so he can like permanently set it up so you have to come and like build stuff out of raw materials to like prop up the sign so that he can then affix it to the ground and then he gives you rewards and stuff and just like oh it's like I'm riding along and then it's like oh there's the sign guy again and then I have this fun little little physics-y puzzle to do um, and just overall, the stuff that I didn't like about Breath of the Wild, which, you know, I made it about halfway through, um, mm -hmm. a lot of the shrines left me underwhelmed and the dungeons I did not care for at all. Um, but the shrines in this are, are more engrossing. The music is less annoying. It had this really like dissonant quality and it just never stopped in the old shrines, but in the new shrines, it's a lot more chill and just kind of like, okay, I can kind of focus in here um i know your complaint about the shrines in breath of the wild is they're all basically the same right well the same palette the same you're in this slightly techno-ish kind of configuration uh, yeah and so they might have slightly different puzzles that you're solving but with the yeah. same set of elements and that there just wasn't a lot that felt I don't know, for lack of a better way to say it, the way that you've explained it to me, and I having not played the game but watched about two hours of it total, mm -hmm. um, I could see how this might be the case, having seen a shrine uh, yeah. solved. Yeah. That like it really doesn't feel like you're doing anything particularly fresh in each shrine. So even if it's a 
um a good feeling right it's like the the basics of it are well designed but especially mm -hmm. coming from other zelda games where a really defining aspect of them is how each dungeon is unique yeah right yeah and you know these are doing slightly different things from from a dungeon but uh but yeah for whatever reason in tears of the kingdom like i'm just into it and they seem a little briefer and just more interesting with with the powers that the game uh, gives you at, at the start there um and you well, know, i mean that's actually in... that actually sounds like good balance too yeah uh, like making them minimizing them a little bit in favor of having other things that are intentionally more expansive and you're going to sink you're you know sink more time into those challenges totally yeah um yeah there's this skill called ascend and it has changed it changes the way you think about a 3d space it is revolutionary uh really as long as there is a ceiling above you uh you can just dive straight up through the ceiling and then it cuts to the scene of like link essentially swimming through solid rock and it's got this great crumbly you know noise mm -hmm. as you're swimming up through and then he pops his head up and then you can hop out and obviously they exploit that with the design of of the shrines and of the environment so it feels like you're cheating almost yeah like and it is such a freeing feeling of like oh fuck you know i'm down in this well and i've got to like find a way to get out no you just fucking swim up through the ground and you just pop right up um so we've so. established we can dive through the ceilings can you also die through the ceilings <laughs> that has not yet happened Okay. But I, I will let you know. Uh, I mean, it does it seem does. a little worrisome, so, you know, swimming through solid rock, that that, that could be one unfortunate <laughs> right. consequence right. that could happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I wanted to kind of finish out by, uh, I, I beat the first uh, temple mm -hmm. last night. Um, and Sweet. I guess spoilers, uh, you know, since you're not going to be playing there are temples. <laughs> <laughs> since you won't be playing this for a while, I'm going to kind of just let it rip and share. Yeah, absolutely. Know. Note to audience, like... Yeah. Uh, you know, um, we don't do any post-production to let you know what you should skip forward to when right. we get into spoiler-heavy stuff. So just if you are avoiding spoilers on this game, uh, be advised that you'll want to have that hand on the skip button. Yeah. Um, so it was just what I wanted from a Zelda dungeon. Like, they nailed it. Uh, and the the ascent to this dungeon, because you're uh, the, the bird people, the Rito, their village has been, like, all snowed off from this big blizzard in the sky. And you have to go figure out what's going on. And you are following this path of like floating islands up and up and up further nice. and further. And then there are these, uh, they look like Nordic longboats. Mm -hmm. And you can jump from above and land on them. And it gives you this giant bounce. Ooh, and okay. so there are all these crisscrossing, circling ships in the sky. And you are bounding from ship to ship, going higher and higher to try and get above the storm to then go down in. And finally, you let you like break up through the the storm, and all around you is just like peace and like ah, uh, like you can see cool. the entire map and the storm below you. And then you plunge down in, and uh, there's this big ship that you're on, and just classic Zelda dungeon goodness. Like it, it was really Sweet. satisfying. Beat it in one in one session, you know, so it wasn't didn't wear out its welcome. And then the yeah. boss was thrilling. The boss, it was this dragon, and you're flying up and floating back down and, you know, shooting its weak points and dodging. And it was incredibly satisfying. Uh, that and, sounds like yeah. real classic Zelda just yeah. in general. Yeah. That's great. Um, had some more notes here. I guess the last thing uh, is there, there's an entire underground 
as well, which presumably stretches across the entire map. And it's pitch dark down there. Oh, wow. And you have to throw these little light seeds uh, to find your way. And you're going and you find these uh, basically towers underground. But instead of revealing the map, they light up. And yeah. so now, and you're slowly like getting a sense of what this place actually looks like as you're adding more and more light to it. Um, and that's been uh, fun as well. And like, if you take damage down there, it like reduces your maximum hearts until you get back up into the sunlight uh, to add a little extra, or you can eat special food to like cure that too. Um, but that seems like a whole, a whole, you know, additional adventure down there. Um, yeah. And I basically just think about it when I'm at work and then I want to come home and, and play it. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's been four or five hours, uh, you know, each night that I get to play because you just, I just get locked into it. Um, was there any point where Elden Ring had you, uh, in like, you know, three plus hours, not thinking about the game, the fact that you were still playing the game? Yeah. Yeah. There was definitely a sweet spot and actually a similar thing where, it's like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know why I want to do what I want to do. But then it was like, okay. And I, it's, even on the pod that that we discussed, it was like, oh, okay, I want to go to Raya Lucaria and I want to get yeah. more magic. And then right, right. that was like good motivation. And there's just a thousand things you could do in Zelda at any given moment to like progress your further, to enhance your powers and to keep, keep going. Um, it's fantastic, man. I was a little worried because I didn't like Breath of the Wild, but yeah, uh, it is fucking fantastic. Right on, right on. Yeah, and it sounds like it has struck a sweet spot, uh, perhaps more than Elden Ring, in balancing an open world with having a clear narrative that is there for you to pursue. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, I, I heard uh, on a podcast today that apparently this is what Zelda is now. Which yeah. before Tears of the Kingdom, I would have been like, well, fuck, I didn't like Breath of the Wild that much. But now it's like, okay, they can, they're, they're hitting what I want. They can, you can walk and chew gum to... at the same time. You can yeah. have an open world where you can make stuff and all of this other mm -hmm. craziness. You can also map onto that a uh, clear storyline that is drawing you forward. Right. Yeah. And have you That's seen good. any of the, uh, the monstrosities that people are making? <laughs> I probably saw the one. <laughs> how is it that you know exactly what is the one that i definitely well, saw yes i saw penis the one. shooting fire yeah uh, pretty much it's a penis you know. shooting fire until the whole thing comes tumbling <laughs> to the ground i mean come on god damn it people why can't we have nice things uh, nintendo they knew they they knew yeah the moment that you make a world where you can assemble stuff Right. Then people will make things, right? Yep. And that will include dirty things. It's just yep. inherent. It's just inherent. Yeah. And you sent me a pretty, uh, you know, d delightful, albeit it, I, I did uh, have to force our conversation off of text for this because right. of the low resolution of the video, but a, a sustainable green vehicle that you built. <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> Battery powered. Battery powered. Yeah. Yeah. It's good uh -huh. stuff. It's good stuff. I'm sure there's going to be a lot as time goes on there'll be a whole spate of just ridiculousness that flows out of that aspect of the game yeah no doubt it's you know and just player creativity like try a thing you know like um apparently so this is not new you can shield surf 
like if you're on an incline, can jump up, put your shield under you, surf on down. Well, nice. someone found out that you can fuse a uh, minecart to a shield, and now oh. you have a skateboard. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> where you can go anywhere, <laughs> and you can grind rails, and like, oh, that's crazy. Yeah, that yeah, is man. ridiculous. It's good stuff. So yeah, I'm sure there'll be plenty more Zelda to discuss in the coming weeks and perhaps months. But uh, for now, uh, unless you had any other thoughts? No, for now, I think uh, maybe it's time to get into the first feature of the show. All right. And that first feature is Game Ranks. What do you got this week, Moses? Well, Paul, I think we never really got around to talking about this game on a podcast episode very early on when I sent you an article about it. Okay. Uh, this week, I am ranking the 1982 The Hobbit Text Adventure. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Yeah, because this, this game, on the one hand, looms large in my memory because, of course, uh, you know, I've read... Uh, or my my father had read The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings to me probably by the time I uh, first had touch with this game. Certainly The Hobbit. I'd read The Hobbit myself by this point, um, mm -hmm. probably not when the game came out, but when I first played it like a couple of years later. Um, unlike Zork or Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or uh, most of those other early games, um, The Hobbit did have graphics. And they were painfully rendered <laughs> in, in each environment. Um, but it did add something that was an immediate hook for, for me um, at that age. What I and I made it as far as the Lonely Mountain and I think as far as Smog's Lair. Okay. Um, but the thing about this game that I had no idea about at the time and would only come to understand later is that to some degree there's some flukes and some luck that gets you there. Um, the luck. thing is, luck. Wow. Yeah. The thing is that the uh, the lead dev, so his game was made by Veronica Megler and Philip Mitchell in uh, at Melbourne House uh, in 82. And then it was released in wow. the US in 85, which actually explains why I would have come across it a little bit later. Megler was a young CS student at the time. Um, and she... Um, after playing adventure, uh, she realized that like, okay, once you've mapped this whole thing out, it's kind of boring, right? Yeah. You know, the insides and the outsides of it and, uh, all the characters and everything, it's all completely static and unchanging. So she did something that, uh, was really uncommon and would remain uncommon for a long time after that. She gave the characters kind of, uh, task structures, action structures that each of them had. So that they would try to do different things when you interacted with them. Hmm. Um, and uh, here's a, a quote from an article that this is the article uh, from 50 Years of Text Games, uh, which is now a published book, actually, that I shared with you a while back. But you can find uh, these great write-ups about these games on 50 Years of Text Games. It's uh, if50.substack.com. Um, and... So Megler's, char Megler's characters, quote, just played the game themselves according to their character profile. She would mm. later write, I conceived of an NPC's character as being a set of actions that the NPC might perform, a sequence in which they generally perform them in a frequency of repetition. The individual actions were simple and were generally the same actions the player could do, run in a given direction, attack another character, and so on. But these routines could be overridden for a specific character. The apparent complexity of the character 
comes from the length and flexibility of its action sequences. The character, quote, emerges, unquote, as a result. For example, Gandalf's short attention span and kleptomania were represented by a sequence like go, pick up, say what's this, go, put down. So this brings me back to my point that I think I remember getting stalled out and stuck um, at the Lonely Mountain. And I didn't know why as a kid, but as an adult, I go back with some understanding of this game. There's a distinct possibility that Gandalf wandered off with something that I needed. <laughs> this is the thing that could happen in this game. You know, Thorin will randomly start singing about gold. Gandalf will randomly pick something up and wander off with it. <laughs> so incredible, really amazing for a game of its time. So not only is it like a really strong anchoring memory of an early game for me that I really enjoyed, even though I was you know never able to beat it. It was hard. Yeah. Uh, even outside of the luck part, those early text adventures generally were fairly difficult. Um, but also in realizing that like the emergent behavior that everybody loves talking about with like Dwarf Fortress. Yeah. Well, Egler was building this into the Hobbit text adventure back in the early 80s in Australia. That's like just stunning and really cool and taking a great piece of IP and making just something, something pretty wild out of it that... One of these days, I want to find a way to load up this ROM and, and screw around with it and just kind of see what happens. Because it's not like, uh, by modern game standards, it's not like it's that deep. Yeah. Uh, but uh, as a game that came out in 1982, man, it was super compelling. I probably got it in Egghead Software in a bargain bin. I don't know. Um, I am ranking it at number 81 as my early 83rd game ranked. And I have a couple of other end notes here about my ranking. Um, that Minesweeper has now come to rest sinking slowly like a naval mine that has finally had its anchor come to 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 weigh uh it is sitting sitting in number 80 i decided that minesweeper deserves a spot in my top 100 there are going to be other games that are going to pop up higher up in the list when i eventually get around to ranking them and eventually maybe minesweeper will get kicked out of the top 100 but i'm ranking hobbit right after it at number 81 and i'm also swapping the uh final two ranked games carcassonne ios is now sitting down at 83 i just felt very nonplussed about it when i was traveling recently and had distinct desire not to play it yeah um obviously these things come and go uh but it was it's such that i'm like that's that's the anchor game for now uh thexter will probably come to rest sooner or later <laughs> probably not quite in my top 100 but maybe not too far after um but minesweeper number 80 now the hobbit sliding in here at number 81 like a like a burglar like like a clever halfling burglar you know burgling his way into a mountain <laughs> I'm curious about that. Uh I feel like I should give it a whirl. Just I'm sure you can play it in a browser maybe or easy to I wouldn't be surprised if across. you can track it down in a browser at this point or you can download the ROM and there's probably a uh you know an old executable thing to play those old ROMs one way or the other it's it's going to be accessible somehow at this point most of those uh those early games are. Nice. <laughs> For myself this week uh coming in at number 82 is Diddy Kong Racing. From okay. the N64, um, this game was just a blast to play with my with my brothers. Um, you know, it came out after well after Mario Kart 64, um, and it had a lot of fresh ideas. Um, you could have a plane or a hovercraft or a cart. Okay, and many of the maps allowed you to pick whatever you wanted. Like, do you want to have a plane on this level, and you're racing against your brother who's in a cart? go for it you know and there were advantages to to each they found a way to balance that it was like balance it wasn't perfectly balanced which was part of the charm like sure 
Um, sometimes planes just had a straight up, you know, advantage, but, um, but it was a ton of fun. Uh, there were boss fight races where you race this giant anthropomorphic pig named whiz pig. Uh, and he's literally just running on the track next to your tiny really cart, uh, driving along. Um, and it had, uh, you know, some of your favorite characters, Banjo and Kazooie, uh, was Donkey Kong in it? He must have been, probably. Diddy Kong's in it. Um, Whizpig is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, my favorite sex dungeon in Berlin. I don't know. <laughs> Welcome to Whizpigs. Um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> well, anyway. <laughs> and also, the inspiration for the name of our beloved cat, uh, Tip Top. Yeah. Um, there was a talking clock named uh tip top and we had tipped up the cat with a white tip on his black tail yeah and uh and that's that's all she wrote on that um but, very very sweet cat i might add yeah um and it was just fun you could get like a 10 pack of missiles and just jam on the button and you know try and blow up your your rivals um a lot of imaginative courses and it just it was one of those games that was just in the sweet spot of we don't have a ton of games to play and we've got three brothers who want to play. Right. So we're just going to play a bunch of this game and um, yeah, definitely look, look back very fondly on Diddy Kong racing. Nice. Um, I know you didn't queue anything up for it. I am curious if there are any uh, tracks from the game, uh, musical tracks for the racing tracks that stood out. All I can remember is the main title, uh, which okay. was fine. Um and that actually, since you mentioned music, when you're driving around the overworld, uh, there was like children's laughter baked into one of the music tracks. Oh, that's great. But for the longest time, I thought it was like I was proximate to a secret. And that's what triggered the oh, laughter. No. So I spent hours driving around being like, what is, you know, is going on yeah. with this, this sound? Um, yeah. Yeah. A slight misstep in sound design. Yeah. Or maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, but yeah, my new number, 82. All right. All right. Indeed, moving along in the show, it's time for the next feature. It's time for What I Love About. And what do you got, Moses? Well, Paul, one thing we did not mention uh, in the top of the show that we've both uh, done a little bit of this week is some Fall Guys. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I love the step that the Fall Guys team has taken uh, with the game in this this next se new season of the game. Um, specifically, I think it's like this game could really have found itself in a, a deep rut where it's like, okay, how can we come up with a new track that's remotely interesting? And their solution to that was to make track creation tools and open it up and you know start with some play track playlists that have uh, pretty clearly been developer made. Some of them are shinier than others, as you and I were talking about the other mm -hmm. night. Um, and uh, some of them are just like totally bonkers and and obviously like kind of um, a, a one trick pony. But what a great move. What a great move for the Fall Guys team to say, like, you know what? We want to keep this going. And the best way to do that is to just say, hey, we've got great pieces. We've got great elements. Um, and we're not going to come up with every awesome way that they can be put together. We're going to take a page from like Mario maker and be like, you know what? Let, let the community have at it. Mm -hmm. And then also very clearly 
let our dev team have at it in a slightly different way from how we've had to do builds in the past so that we can get some fresh, quick content out. And then um, the thing I really love about it is giving us the ability to be like, okay, not just choose a mode, but choose this playlist or that playlist. Yeah. Um, just a really great move. It's led to some continued, uh, really enjoyable fall guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been a blast. Um, and we're, we're getting close. Like it's only a matter of time before we, we win this thing. Yeah. I mean, you and I each have, have had individual wins. Mm -hmm. Um, we have yet to have a duos win. we have come close, mm -hmm. we've come achingly close. If there's one thing I'm uh, hoping that mid season will change up with this season, it is that the duos playlist is really basically the duos playlist from last season currently. Yeah. Um, and it would be nice to to get that shifted up and have some some fresh tracks in the duos playlist specifically. Um, I wager that with time that'll happen though. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hoping so. And they've also, you know, they've broken the season out into these smaller bits in terms of their monetization strategy. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if that goes along with track refreshes, which has happened in the past anyway, with like minor tweaks to what uh you know what tracks are in a given given list so yeah very good uh well i've been just doing all zelda so all zelda all my the mind, time you know there's plenty to love uh, about zelda i think next week maybe i'll share some of the the music sure. um that has left an impression on me but uh i just couldn't come up with anything because it's just all been uh all been zelda so, so uh much zelda I believe we will uh, press ahead into the next feature of the show. It's time for Tell Me About. And Moses, this week, uh, I've got a two-parter for you. Um, uh -huh. Tell me about uh, what is your favorite video game movie? Wow, my favorite video game movie. Assuming you've... Okay even seen any i mean i assume you've seen, I seen mario bros video game movie i haven't seen the new one yet no but the certainly seen the old one yeah 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 it's definitely not my favorite video game movie but um, what if it was the only one you've watched well no i've also seen the original mortal kombat movie oh sure sure and um the final fantasy movie that's um, right yeah it's been so long that i don't have sharp memories of it oh, i remember being really impressed by it visually and really yeah. not super impressed by it narratively yeah. Um, which I think was kind of the consensus. Um, I'm trying to think if there have been any other video game movies that I um well, actually, you know, I did recently see Detective Pikachu. <laughs> nice. And it was actually quite good. I it's like I, yeah, I can't say that I have like um yeah, I've seen part of the the first Sonic movie and it actually seemed like it was okay, but I, I you know didn't didn't really catch me. I'm trying to think if there's something that uh, that does better than Detective Pikachu. Detective Pikachu is like really well written. Although, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to give it up for the original Mortal Kombat movie. Yeah. A movie that in no way, shape or form took itself seriously. That right. had a lot of fun, like just spoofing the fact that Mortal Kombat itself is the like, you know, epitome of like whichever Bruce Lee movie it was. Um uh enter the dragon i think actually invite everybody to an island and you all have to kill each other mm -hmm. um so just a really fun movie really really stupid fun it it did what it should do given like okay you're really you're gonna make a, a movie about this uh, good mm -hmm. good just be camp enjoy it and have some some you know some pretty good martial arts yeah um and the two the second parter of the two-parter is uh what 
movie would you most like to be made into a game? Ooh, what movie would I like to be made into a game? Not Existence. That would just be too fucking weird. <laughs> and if it's already playing with those themes and it does well without going uh, all the way, uh, you know, kind of in on itself and folding, folding it on itself. What movie would I like to be made into a game? What would do well? What would do well that has not obviously been made as a Lego game already? Mm -hmm. It's an important criteria um, in thinking about this. I think Casablanca would be <laughs> okay. And this might just be from like having played chicken police relatively recently. Um, but I think there would be room even in a, in a, in a pretty straight narrative game to create a, you know, a, the, the trick is of course you need, you need to like expand the world a little bit and you still need somebody who does a really freaking good Humphrey Bogart. You know, I, I'm sure I could come up with something that would be an even more natural fit than this, but I feel like it would be pretty fascinating to take that that classic noir and like we have the technology now um, where you could make that atmospheric feel mm -hmm. in terms of the visual style in black and white or maybe a, a sepia-ish black and white where like you really could get the the vibe of the place to to rise up and to be able to have like these interactions with all of these these classic characters uh you know at rick's um i don't know i think it would it would make a really nice noir game and i think that if it were handled well and it would be really really easy to fuck it up or just to make it note for note from the movie mm -hmm. and the important thing would be to not do that and i i actually think it would probably be important to not have you um you know, not have you play uh, Bogart's character. Yeah. But to interact with him and interact with all of the other leads, uh, but to introduce you as maybe like it, it's playing out around you and you are trying to stay like one step ahead of the movie plot um, and with maybe your own, your own aim in terms of trying to get the fuck out. Mm -hmm. Something like that. I don't know. Kind of like a cafe, a cafe sim. Yeah, in there too, because he's got his like, isn't that part of it? He's got like a cafe and yeah, the yeah Rick's cafe, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, and so you know maybe you're just a cafe employee, mm -hmm. uh, as an introduced character. Um, but you know, but you have your own, your own goal. Um, of trying to get out of Casablanca. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I dig. Yeah, <laughs> not not what I was expecting, but uh, but I, I like the novel approach. You know, I, I'm sure I could come up with movies that would be better fodder for a game that, uh, you know, whether they've been done or done badly or like, you know, not been done yet. But um, for some reason that came to mind, you yeah. know, like I'm, they probably made a fifth element game and it probably wasn't very good. And that's a movie that would obviously like work as a game, but um, I don't know. Casablanca, why not? You should look into the game. I think it was called Armageddon. Uh, oh, really? Oh, no, it's called Apocalypse. Okay. Uh, just yeah. Uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll do a little research and I can bring that next week and uh, we can talk about the bizarre world of Apocalypse starring Bruce Willis. Um, Wild. Yeah. I dig it. Well, Paul, for uh, me for today, interesting. I'm also 
asking you about adaptation. Um, tell me, if you will, about a board game that you would like to see either adapted uh, or just use as inspiration for a video game. It doesn't necessarily need to be an adaptation. It could be like, this is a cool board game. I love these mechanics, but maybe the mechanics don't fit. But what if this was just the concept or theme that fit yeah. for, for a game that doesn't exist? And actually, it's funny you use the word concept because I think that's what I would want to adapt is the game called Concept. Uh, I don't know if you've played it. And I don't know how much I like it. I I, I like it. Uh, it's never quite as like satisfying as like it's hard to not feel like nobody including yourself is playing to the to the to the heights of what this game could offer but sure uh it's this giant board with a bunch of disparate concepts oh, on it yeah i remember you know, this game colors shapes man mm -hmm. woman uh uh you know without looking Television. at the board but no. oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. um but uh and you put colored cubes on them. You cannot speak. You put colored cubes on the different concepts to try and blend them all into a whole, which yeah. hopefully, like there's one that's like movies. So it's like you put a cube there and then there's a dog. So you put a cube there. It's like, okay, the movie about a dog, blah, 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 you know? Yeah. Um, but I think if you could like bring the spaces on the board to life and maybe yeah. manipulate them uh, instead of just being limited to putting a cube on it because the game allows and even specifically says that you can use the cubes themselves to further illustrate what you're trying to do like you could put four cubes in a certain pattern to elicit a certain idea or stack them as high as you can to elicit a different idea or put them over the eyes of the figure that they're on to be like okay this particular part of this entity and yeah. so if you could actually have maybe a 3d model and paint it with different highlights uh, to try and like illustrate your concept i'm weirdly reminded and i just added this to my unranked games of scribble knots but it's not yeah. exactly what you're talking about but it is just a little bit Close. in the sense of like being able to do something with a video game you just can't do with a board game uh where by putting this plus that plus that together actually mm -hmm. does something dynamic um yeah. that may or may not be exactly what you want it to be <laughs> but you try it to get your concept across, right? Yeah. Uh, Runner-up would be a decent version of Hive that you and I could uh, could oh go head-to-head -head on. Just having a version of Hive that could be played remotely would be great, but that's uh, less interesting as an adaptation um, and more just like a pure digital emulation just so that we could play the damn game would be yeah. would be pretty sweet if it doesn't exist. Please, Hive, license There's it like out. There's like a crappy done. version. Yeah, and that's, not a good yeah. version. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that is that. Yeah. Right on. Right on. Cool. Yeah. That would be a great fit for something that, you know, is, would be dynamic and could do something unique by, by drawing inspiration from a board game. I love it. Yeah. Right on. Well, that uh, brings us to the last feature of the show uh, for this afternoon. It is time for Make My Game. All right. Coming this Hold week. on, Dwarf OS. Oh, wait. Yeah. <laughs> Dwarf OS. <laughs> Maybe someday we can talk someday. about Dwarf OS. But not today. Today, made by? Made by Baby Wasp Games. Okay. Very cute. Yeah. Oh, my God. Body phobia. <laughs> That's good. Wow. All one word. That just wow. sounds scary. 
Yeah, it does. Dang. That's not a good phobia to have. No. Um, I think we can do something with this. Yeah. Like I, I picture just a first person claustrophobic kind of uh, maybe monochrome. You know, those are, those are the first images that flashed into my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think this is a great opportunity for a horror game that is about something that is not inherently like terrifying. Right. Yeah. Uh, but playing the claustrophobia angle of it to induce feelings of unease in the player. I don't know. I there There's two different things that come to mind. One is just kind of an immediate, like being trapped in an elevator with too many people. Yeah. <laughs> um, as an image um but the other is like something beyond just dysmorphia that's what i'm trying um, to come up with like the fear of being stuck in a body when you are something that is not in a body yeah so like maybe you as the player um are disembodied uh but the game requires you to take on bodies for tasks but it blends together with that, um, you know, and this is kind of like humanity, like comes to mind on this as well. Like these mobs of people where, you know, it, it's just like that sense of, of you're, it's too crowded. It's not just a normal crowd, like agoraphobia type situation. Um, it's like, no, this is the type of crowd that's genuinely uneasy making. That's genuinely like gives you that, edge of like uh maybe this is a vr game yeah it i think it has to be to to really get there because you feel it it feel yeah. like you feel the other person there even if they're not well they're not real but you feel yeah you feel the it. other person slash people you have to like kind of swim through these crowds of people on on like maybe later levels where it's just like the only way out is just it's like the Battle of the Bastards. Oh God, no. Yeah. Maybe not quite that bad, but maybe, maybe like only only people aren't dying. It's just like this writhing mass. And maybe you can play with with uh uh a uh, scale like you are inhabiting a small body. And you only yeah. come up to the knees of these crowds of people. Uh and there's something, you know, alien and isolating about like being down there on that level by yourself. I think it's probably visually important that the people that all of the bodies are a little nondescript. I agree. You yeah. know, um, that will definitely help with the whole phobia part of it. Uh, nothing, not the uncanny Valley edge of making you uneasy, but the like kind of mannequin world edge of making you uneasy. Yeah. I think playing with the claustrophobic angle, uh, like, I mean, we're dealing with awful things, obviously it's, it's a horror game, but yeah, you know, uh, running out of oxygen, like you, maybe you you sense or you see a, a, a crush yeah. is happening and it's spreading and you have to kind of maneuver your way to avoid it. Otherwise you start losing oxygen. And uh, that's, I like up. the idea of different mechanics on different levels. So there, there could be like, again, this is a horror game that sounds truly <laughs> horrific. Like right. you could have limbs crushed and yeah. you nonetheless have to like straggle your way out of this, this crushing mob of people. Uh, you could, you know, you could be, you could be suffocated or you could just be jammed in like a sardine and you need to like find a way to, to, you know, maze, like find the, the spots where there's just enough play between bodies to like wiggle your way out. Yeah. 
I think that might actually be a fundamental part of the mechanic of the game, like in terms of um, what the the puzzle uh, solving aspect of it would be that like in a lot of cases, um, it's about finding where there's a little bit of give to, to make your way through. Um, and sometimes it's inside of a series of rooms and hallways and stuff, right? Um, and so it's like you can see where you want to go, but you can't get through that way, mm-hmm. right? There's just... There's too much. And I mean, movement's got to be big too. These people aren't all just standing still. They're like trying to get places. Yeah. They're trying to take things and observe what they've taken and then put put it, put it away or whatever Gandalf does. Yeah. Right. Um, Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we could also go like a little full on body horror where sometimes there are like extra limbs or non-human limbs and like just gets, gets extra weird. Yeah. The later, the later stages. Yeah, and maybe you kind of have a, a callous disregard for the body you're inhabiting because it's not really you. Oh uh, yeah. And so it gets like you're saying limbs and stuff. Maybe to fit through this gap, your shoulder gets dislocated, and then you're kind of making your way from there. But as long as you can make it intact in one way or another with one hit point or whatever, you know, which allows you to extract yourself from the body and get back to being disembodied. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, what a creepy, messed up game. Yeah, I've actually gotten like some little zaps of like claustrophobia just in our, in our just talking about here. this. Yeah. 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 I mean, I would like to see this game exist and I never want to play it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Paul and Moses promise. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, cool. Yeah. I don't know that I've got anything else to add. Yeah. From the, uh, well, I was going to say innocuous, but it is still a wasp. So maybe yeah. that's telling. Baby wasp games comes body phobia. And uh, we are now entering the final bit of the show, the most phobia inducing for those. Is there a fear of saying goodbye? I'm is that sure the most there is. Romantic thing I've ever said. <laughs> um, no, <laughs> but it's close. Uh, but here we are, all the same. And uh, Moses, uh, any final thoughts from you this week? I'll just say if you're out there and you have a PS5 and, uh, you know, you haven't picked up humanity, I think it's on PS4 as well, actually, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you've got the PlayStation Plus thing going on. Get it. Try it. It might not be your jam, but man, it's a unique game that, yeah. you know, pulls on some themes from older games for sure. Oh, and also, if you haven't watched it yet, watch the trailer for this game. Mm-hmm. It is so retro PlayStation. And I don't mean the gameplay trailer. I mean the one that has an actual Shiba Inu in it. Um, it's hilarious. It's weird. And it absolutely takes me back like 15 years. Totally. Yep. Um, well, thanks as always uh, for being here with us, Moses. Most definitely. Thanks as always, Paul, for setting the table. Of course. And uh, thanks to everyone out there for listening to this week's episode of Paul and Moses Play. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, you can email us at paulandmosesplay at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. And until then, never, never stop, stop playing. playing.